We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. It is your boy Fachi here, hitting you with another episode of Setting the Pace. Alex still enjoying that vacation. I mean, doesn't he know we got some Pacer basketball to talk about? Nah, nah. All, all jokes over there. Hope he's enjoying that trip. But like I said the other day, man, the show goes on. So we have CJ Miles, former Pacer, in the building. And by that, I mean AKA via Zoom. But he broke down basically, you know, his time in Indiana overall his career, what it was like playing with a young Miles Turner, as well as what the Pacers can expect from Aaron Neesmith, who he got to play with in Boston. So awesome interview. You know, CJ really uh, you know, really enjoyed his time in Indiana. I think that's very evident. You'll be able to tell that pretty early on. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I'm going to get out of the way before I start rambling. I'm going to bring on CJ Miles. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, everybody, welcome back. We now welcome on NBA veteran, former Indiana Pacer, C.J. Miles. C.J., what's going on? I'm doing good, man. You know, uh, we've been we've been battling to get this done, but uh, we made it finally, though. <laughs> we have everybody. I've been on CJ, but the man was true to his word, made it happen. We appreciate it. You know, CJ Pacer Nation misses you, man. I mean, some of your best years were with the Pacers, and we don't forget about that. We hold those years fondly. I loved Indiana, man. Um, Indiana. I always tell people those are my favorite years because I felt the most at home there. Um, you know, I, I had a good base with the organization. Um, and then I had my, my wife now part of her family lived in Indiana also. So we had some really good, just support systems there. Um, and, and it doesn't, and it doesn't make it, you know, it's not too shabby when Larry Baird sits you down to come play for his team either. So that that's was always gotta be cool. Actually, I think it was like literally just yesterday, just recently, Larry Bird finally stepped down overall. So, I mean, quite an era, quite quite a run that he had with the Pacers. But, you know, you mentioned your wife. She was always very nice to Pacer fans on Twitter. I always remember her having, like, a Twitter presence. So I thought that was really cool. You always love when the family buys in like that. So that's really cool. I didn't know that she's from Indiana. The funny thing about that is every time – so me and Josh Corbeil, the head trainer, we still Mm -hmm. talk. Like, that's my guy. We still – and every time we speak – the first thing that comes out of his mouth or the first thing he texts me is he says, Lauren cracks me up on Twitter. That's the first thing he said. That's his favorite person to follow. He said that since I was in Indiana um, and I was there actually during the draft workouts. I saw um, the kid you guys drafted uh, work out. I was at his workout and oh, he said, awesome. said it to me right when I walked in the building that day too. So like. Love um, it. Love it. Well, you were fresh off the TBT. You played with the sideline cancer team. I know, unfortunately, it didn't work out. You guys actually had a, a one-point, you know, victory uh, in the first round. But overall, I went to the TBT. I want to say like the first or second year that they had it. It's gotten better and better, more competitive each year. Tell me about your experience at TB, uh, TBT this year. It was fun, man. You know, it was my first time um, I had watched on, excuse me, on TV. Um, but my first time going and being around it and, I had a couple of guys that lived near me um, in San Antonio that were playing on that team. So they asked me to come out and, you know, I definitely want to go back next summer and, and play again, but um, sideline cancer is a great organization. They bring great awareness um, to their causes also, which is one of the other reasons why I felt good about aligning with them just because of the way they stand on it being more than basketball. Um, and that, and that made it even more fun. Love it. Uh, hey, I hope, hope, I uh, hope to see you out there again and making a, a big run. I'm a West Virginia alumni, best Virginia. They're a one seed. I'm hoping they can go far. A lot of guys from when I was back in school. So pretty cool stuff. But 
Uh, you know, I listened to the Knuckleheads podcast, Darius Miles, Quentin Richardson. Darius Miles holds players drafted out of high school in the highest regard. You were one of those players, actually one of the last players drafted straight out of high school back in 2005 before they changed the rule. You know, what was that feeling that you had that made you feel, I'm ready for the NBA? I just, um, I wanted to play basketball. Like, that's like I, that's what I knew. That's what I knew from the time I was three, four years old, you know. Um, and I was in a position where what I wanted to be, I could go learn from the people already doing it. And I always felt like if I, I if I got there, I had the work ethic to stick and stay and figure out my way to be a player in the league and you know have a great career. But I just um, I just felt like that was the best route for what I wanted. I, nothing against going to school. Like, do I think later when I'm 25, 27, if we have a logical conversation about it, or now as a grown man, I would tell you that I could have benefited from school. Yes, but at that time, you know, like I. I wanted to play basketball with the best players in the world. I wanted to know where I would stack up and where I could stack up. And that was people don't get the the thing that, you know, their ideal job right out of high school. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have been auditioning for that job for 14, 15 years already. Like I was getting ready for that day. You know, that must have been tough because, you know, you look at that jazz team, you got Jerry Sloan, like the veteran of all veteran coaches back then. Must have been hard for you to break in and get some playing time. But it shows a little bit of our age as I remember being the D League, not the G League now. And I know it's changed a lot since then. But, you know, you recently did a stint in the G League. Can you tell us about the differences from back then to now? Um, One, there's more teams. <laughs> the, first, the, the first time I went, I think there was like only a handful of teams. So like every time we would, we would play everybody twice. So, like, if we were going to play a team in Dallas, we play on Thursday and Saturday just so we could get the most out of our games. Um, and then – but, no, just the resources now. Um, obviously, something grows, the league grows, money grows, funding for things grow. Like, um, and it's even – it's younger. That's the biggest thing. It's way younger. When I came out, there were a lot of veteran guys, like, um, playing in the, in the D League because it was basically, you know – right there they like it would they were they were that close and they didn't feel like going overseas and committing to a season benefited them in case somebody called um now it's a it's it's really turned more like baseball you know like guys are developing and getting chances to um you know further their skill set and whether they're a two-way player or there's just a kid that people are watching with the night program they got people guys that are coming in and getting ready for the draft Exactly. Look, the pay's better. The, the talent's better. I mean, you were talking about now getting the five-star recruits going straight to, you know, the G League night team and being able to develop and then end up being, you know, perhaps the second overall pick uh, like Jalen Green recently. So uh, overall, I feel like you're starting to see those, those top, the top talent go over to the G League, which is very different than, you know, 15 plus years ago, you know, when you were going through it. But after stints in Utah, Cleveland, you come over to the Pacers. You know, we talked about what it was like, you know, to have Larry Bird be signing and everything. You know, what made you choose the Pacers? And what would kind of be something that you might tell, uh, you know, an incoming free agent who's taking a look at Indiana? So my decisions are always based off basketball. So, like, when I was, in, when I was a free agent, how many times? Three times or whatever many times it was in my career. 
um, it was always based off strictly basketball because that was what I was going for. I was never picking, you know, based off city, based off other, based off. I always looked at the roster, what they were doing, where they were going, what I wanted. Um, and that that's just how I looked at it. I think sometimes, you know, guys pick the the pretty outside and they get there and they don't like the basketball side. They're miserable. Doesn't matter if the sun's out of your miserable every day with what you got to do every day. I wanted to want to go to the gym. And like I said, the first meeting being with Larry Bird definitely makes you want to go to the gym. Um, but, you know, obviously <laughs> the, the, the history of the organization and then where they were at right there, they were the number one team in the East when I was coming. This is the summer I signed is the summer that Paul breaks his leg. So um, it was a wild ride because that was the summer he broke his leg and Lance left the same summer. Um, and I'm coming into that program thinking that I'm going to be, which we talked about at the meeting, being six man um, for a team that's already like, and to bring shooting for indie games and things like that, like a role that was needed for the roster that I saw the year before and is up changing, you know, um, and I think some of that was for the better for me like not to wish anything on anybody, but some of that was better for me because I got opportunities that first year to grow in a way that I wouldn't have gotten at the age of 25, 26, anywhere else, um, which was, was great. Yeah. I mean, that, that was exactly where my mind went to of saying that you, when you say you look at the talent on a roster and that's what you make your decision off of, it must have really taken the wind out of the team to have Paul George go down like that because you got to think the framework's still there. You still got David West. You still got Roy Hibbert. George Hill's there. I mean, this is a team that is looking to go to three straight conference finals. And to be honest, no offense to anybody, but the bench had been a weakness in the previous two rounds against Miami, previous two seasons against Miami, the conference finals. So hearing that you were brought in to be that sixth man, I mean, that was really kind of what the Pacers were missing at that time. So what was the vibe like knowing that all of a sudden things changed, Paul George is out? It was figure it out, you know. I think myself and Rodney Stuckey benefited from that year Mm -hmm. so much. Like We got to play roles even greater than what we thought we were going to get to do. And and we showed that we could handle the the roles. That was the biggest thing because it doesn't matter if they're going to give you the 33 minutes, 34 minutes, if you're not gonna, not gonna do anything with them. So, um, but it was just us figure it out, you know. Um, I still think we make the playoffs if George Hill doesn't have the groin injury or the injuries, whatever injury it was that makes him miss a bunch of games. One game shy, you guys finished at the end of the year. I remember it was that close. I remember, I remember being in Memphis and <laughs> they put the Memphis game on TV because we had to win to get in the playoffs, but we also needed somebody to lose. Yep. And they told us during the game, I'm talking to, um, one of the announcers, I walked by the table, and they tell me that the other team won. I think um, it was the Nets. I could be wrong, but I think it might have yeah, been. I but I just remember it was like I felt like you guys had that momentum. Paul George is back. He plays like five or six exactly. teams. Yeah. He came back, and we thought – but we we really thought we had a good chance of being in the playoffs and scaring somebody in that in that playoffs um, just because of the momentum we had. Like you said, we had gained, and the guys rose that they had grown into and the way we were playing at the time. Like between myself, George, and Rodney Stuckey, and Paul coming back, and obviously David West and Roy Hibbert being the veterans they were, we still had a chance to um, play small and big. So we felt like we could match with people once we got in the playoffs. You know, you talked about how you felt you guys could have made some noise. You were a part of some extremely hard fought playoff series while you were with the Pacers. I mean, 
that seven game series against the Raptors, which to be honest, I still believe that you guys should have won when you guys were the seventh seed. And then also the series against Cleveland. It's not the side of history you want to be on, but it's the closest sweep in NBA history. It's 16 total points in four games. The series was that close. Now, during that time, you make a fantastic move on Richard Jefferson. You actually shake this man from Cleveland all the way to Indiana, pretty much. You get a good look. Shot doesn't go in. But at the end of the game, you know, Paul George is saying, I got to get that shot. But if you watch the video, Paul George is heavily guarded out by the three-point line. He doesn't have the same type of look that you have. And there's many scenarios where that shot will go in. For you, what's your mentality afterwards? Is it just, hey, shoot a shoot and I'll shoot it again? Or is it really the, we got to get the ball to, to Paul at the end of the game? Uh, it's it's completely situational. Like, I, I was I would definitely shoot the shot again in the same situation. I think you should. It's a shot that I've made numerous times. We can go, go find clips of me shooting that same shot in games. I make that shot all the time. I, I missed that one. But the biggest thing was, I was put in the game in case what happened happened. I wasn't in the game the play before. I was put in the game for that possession in case he had to pass it, got double, whatever, whatever, have to have another weapon on the floor along with whoever else. I don't remember who else was on the floor at the time, but um, I, I get it. I know I knew what was coming. Like, like I didn't like even without Paul saying anything. And me and Paul hashed that out the next morning. That was heated a battle thing. Like that didn't even. Shoot. But I knew what was coming with it just because we live in it's still entertainment and everybody wants to see the the superstar take that shot no matter what. They want to see him take a bad shot, fall out of bed. They just wanted him to have it. And people look at it like because they want to see those plays. But if we're talking basketball, like the right play was made in that situation. No doubt. Uh, so I would definitely and I've and I said I was at that time, one of the best shooters in our league, like, I mean, was and am and will be if I'm back on the scene, whatever you want to call it. But I was, and that's, that's written. Like you can go look up the numbers for that, like, especially that year. So that did not shake my confidence in any way. It just, you know, it was the playoffs. Everything's under a microscope. Exactly. And look, I know for a fact, that's a shot you've made a ton of times. If that shot goes in, I don't think Paul is saying, I still need that shot at the end of the game. It's just the Nobody fact that didn't. But you look at in the finals, the biggest moments, MJ passes it. You know, John Paxson hits a game winner. Steve Kerr hits a game winner. You look for the best shot available. You had the look. Paul George is guarded three-point line. I want to say it was by LeBron. So th- I don't know how successful that look would have been. And you're also got to factor in. There's no time left. This is not like, you know, there's not like you shot it with 16 seconds. So this is my thing. Like if I don't, if I hold it and try to get the ball to Paul. He's not, he might not get a shot. Nobody gets a shot. And now I'm an idiot. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so like I don't win in either way in this situation. And I said this at that time, I, you think I went out there and didn't want to have that ball in Paul George's hands to be able to shoot a good shot to win a game. Like, that was the thing that baffled me about you think that I didn't know we were trying to get the ball to him. Like you think I went out there and was like, I'm taking this shot no matter what. Like I went out there and we ran the play. We're going to do whatever we're going to do. The clock gets down. It comes to me. Now it's time to play basketball. Like there's all the other stuff is off. Like you got to go find a way to get a shot off, make a shot, whatever it is, make a play. Yeah. Nate McMillan. 
guy that you put under in Indiana. Um, one of the knocks on Nate was, you know, struggled to get the Pacers out of that out of the first round. Um, and this was did you play under Nate or was this just strictly Frank yeah, Vogel? My, my, my last year. My last year okay. was under Nate. So I, I thought you had at least one year with Nate. Um yeah. he had some teams that were right over there. I mean, that Cleveland team you're talking about, it, it was such a hard fought series. The Pacers continue to be in a hard fought series. What can you tell us about, you know, Nate McMillan as a coach? Um, I love Nate. I mean, the first thing he was, you know, he had a little bit of old school still in his mm-hmm. way, which was needed. And that's the way that was our identity. Also, we we were like, like right almost teeter totter in the line of going small and getting fast, but still having some of that old school mentality. And I think we needed that with the way we were built. And that and teams that win have a bit of that old school stuff in their system. Like even Golden State, they have some old school principles. So they hit people, they guard, they like they screen, they it's not just them pretty playing shooting threes and hoping they go in. Like people, it's it's matched by the way people look at the game. But they have a lot of they their top defenses most years when they're winning when they're when they're really good. Like they're they're really well coached and and have a lot of old school principles. But Nate, that was the biggest thing. And then it was easier with the transition because he was already there. So he just he obviously it's harder to move up a seat because you have relationships with guys that have to change, but. It was easier for us to to keep our identity because he um he moved up, but he also allowed guys to play within their games, like freedom within what they did. Like I remember I was having a film session and he was like, he would show guys a clip and he was like, That's not what you do. And then he showed them the clip of what they do and say, This is what you do. And he's like, You have all the freedom in that realm, because this is, you know, this is the part of your game that's your strongest and what makes us go. And then, you know, this is selective opportunity, this stuff you're doing on this side. Um, but yeah. he showed that to everybody from top to bottom. Like, and I think that was big because it was honest, wasn't trying to please people, trying to get the best out of guys. Yeah, Nate has always been labeled, you know, old school. I mean, he's obviously a player that, you know, was a hard worker in the 90s also, then, you know, coached in Seattle, you know, in Portland. I, I think that, you know, the Pacers showed that I don't think Nate McMillan was by any means the problem when they brought in Nate Bjorken, and it only lasted a year. And then you see um, Nate McMillan have a lot of success with Atlanta. Takes him to the conference finals after he's appointed midway through the year. So good coach over there that I feel like, you know, at times should probably get a bit more credit. Also an assistant with Team USA. The Nate uh, Yorkin situation was was weird to me. Yeah. Because I had him for a year in Toronto. You did. Yeah, you did. I knew him. So I thought that was, you know, I didn't see that going the way it went. I don't think anyone did stuff that you heard too like I was like that sounds like a different it didn't even sound like the guy yeah. that I was around so I mean um and obviously and, I don't want to speak on what I don't know exactly but look I, yeah and about, but you just said his name and I was like it reminded me how weird that was the the reports were strange they're talking like he was like a Dr. Jackal Mr. Hyde type of thing like you know yeah. hot cold one day is this this and that but I understand where the Pacers were going with trying to find that young, oh, sure. innovative coach, something sure. different, not recycling a hire. And then when it didn't work out, they go the safe route, a guy who they're very familiar with, Rick Carlisle. This is his yeah. third stint in Indiana. Guy who's won a championship. Feels like you can't really go wrong there. But, yeah. you know, going back to you, you know, after being out of league for a bit, COVID, you know, COVID sidelined some sure. players, you know, you, you you make your comeback to the G League. Then you end up getting the 10-day contract with the Celtics. Uh, you appear in a game against Cleveland. Look, even if it was just one game, how much did it mean for you to make it back to the NBA? 
um it it was a lot man you know just because it kind of just felt like like obviously we know we're not gonna play forever like yeah. and you know you know like i'm looking at like this year count that's 17 years that's a long time to do anything yeah and um but i felt like the moment that it all like i had two minor surgeries they weren't they were minor but they just took time to heal and everything came and it just felt like everything has been snatched from under me and um it was just a a, a weird feeling it was overwhelming because i was i wasn't ready at the time you know i knew i was getting going to be close to the next you know whatever amount of years but i wasn't ready and just to go through you know all the time it took to get my body back even in a space to be able to do that just because the situations where I couldn't move like they were minor surgeries, but I, they, they just shut me down. So one, I had pins that had to stay in my wrist. That's I couldn't tough. sweat. I couldn't sweat. So I couldn't work out. So like, I don't know what you're supposed to do at yeah, that point. So like, as a I was like, it's like, it's like minor stretching and, you know, little things to try to, but it's on like, it's literally a shutdown. And you're talking about a body that's been rolling since 2000 and well, since 90, whatever, like yeah. basketball, like, like still to this day, around this time of year, August hits, I start to get antsy just because my body is programmed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it makes so, sense and then you know i had the foot thing before that and i was just getting you know into into some type of you know good feel about my body from that before i hurt my wrist and it was just the pandemic hits and then we have a baby during the pandemic <laughs> and like there's just a, a lot thank you there's a lot going on but i just remember just being at home like these opportunities will pop up and i just couldn't i couldn't i couldn't do it i couldn't get to them and then COVID sat me down twice in opportunities on a 10 day when I was with boss I got COVID then and and I didn't get to play I would have got to play in some of those games like um but to get back in the arena was just a you know a testament of just not laying down you know just sticking with it and And I definitely respect that and like I said even if it was just one game it shows you know you got to stay ready in order to do that a lot of guys can't stay ready so I give you a lot of credit for that but then that also brings me to my next question are you retired or are you still active? Because the people miss you, but you know, we haven't heard any any final word. I'm I mean, I'm active okay. right now. Like okay. I, I still work and play. Like I'm um, but I'm just in a space now um that I'm not I'm not chasing, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay, like, I understand. I can say I'm not active, we're not talking and we're not, but I'm just not in this like I gotta gotta yeah, like because um I want the last few years of this to just be fun and be the right opportunities in the right space. I want it to be wrapped around my love for it more than me overlooking my love for it because I feel like I got to be somewhere because that's what people think I should be. Um, like the thing with the TBT, I almost didn't play because, because people were asking, like people, when people, when I said it, people asked me like, you're going to go play in that? Like it was beneath me or something. And I was like, I, I want to play basketball. I was about to say, who pushed <laughs> And I'm like, I want to play. I don't have nothing left to prove to anyone about anything with basketball. Like, like I said, like I sat at tables with legends. I've been, I've shook hands with them. They've told me, they've admired the way I put in work in the game. They, 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 they let me know I gave it as just do. That's the best way I should say it. Like, like Larry Bird sitting in the locker room and in the gym with me and talking to me about the way that I work. Let me know that I was treating it the right way. Did I always do everything perfect? No, but I, I did a lot. <laughs> you did. And we're talking about 15 plus years from someone who came straight out of high school. I want you to show me the sample size of people that have succeeded over there. 
It's it's not many. So I give you a lot of credit for that. But while it was maybe a 10-day stint, whatever it was, you ran into uh, now a current Pacer, Aaron Neesmith. Can you tell yes. me a little about yes. Neesmith? Yes. Because Pacer fans are very excited. We feel like this is someone that his best basketball is in front of him. For sure. Um, young, athletic, strong, talented kid. Got he's got he's got very much a lot of potential to be like a solid three point shooter and solid defender. Right now, like I don't I know the the rest is you know yeah. I didn't I was only around him a little bit, but just when I saw like athletically, he's 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 elite. Like um, I saw him do some things in just a couple of days that I you don't see guys do, um, but I think it's just a matter of playing. Um, working himself in a way to get to make him make sure he gets opportunities so he can play and get you know experience because that's when it really comes together. Like you can do as many workouts as you want. Like you got to put yourself in position to be able to play so you can get experience and the game slows down some for you. You know, former 14th overall pick, a guy who absolutely lit it up in college, but I feel like he goes to a Boston team with a lot of talented players over there. So we're hoping that he has more of an opportunity to shine in Indiana, but you know, that's not the only pacer that you play with. There's still one that's still on the roster. That's Miles Turner. You play with a young Miles. So tell me a little bit about what Miles was like early on, you know, I think right around like a rookie to, you know, how you've seen his game grow. As a person, he's still the same, man, like eager, thirsty to learn, thirsty to explore. Like he's very much enjoying life. And that's one thing I've always admired about him. Like he, is going to live to the fullest and he's going to work too. A lot of guys can't figure out how to balance it. Um, but he's done that. And then the growth of him, just like him really taking the real challenge defensively is one of the things I love about him the most. Like he takes protecting that rim to heart. Oh, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and he has the mobility to be able to guard some wings and in certain situations, the guards from smaller guards and in, in, in late clock situations, he's, he's shown he can do that. And then obviously he always wanted to shoot threes. So we knew this from the beginning. It just what well, they weren't letting it happen in the beginning. But we knew he had the the potential to be able to do it. And he's he's grown, his touch has grown. And um, but I think his just his toughness is the biggest thing that's grown. And him showing it and not being afraid to let you know that he's here and putting a stamp on the game. I think he's the best shot blocker in the world. I think that injuries is the only thing that's holding him back in I, terms of I mean, you got other guys that they might do other other qualities of defense a little bit better. When it comes to shot blocking, I think Miles, if if he was healthy, would have led the league in shot blocking each Again. of the last three years. Yeah. So his only you know, competition is what Rudy Gobert. That's what they Rudy always. Rudy Gobert play. keeps winning Defensive but, Player but, of the Year. So yes, but my thing with him, he's winning by metrics. Yeah, like by the numbers when he's on the floor. Exactly. Exactly. I don't. I know there's situations he can't be in the game. Yeah. Oh, there is. We've seen in the game. I can have Miles in the game and feel real comfortable. There's not a lot of lineups that I would be like, I can't have Miles in the game. I know a lot. And then and then we have to put Rudy on people that stand in the corner because he can't be in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. He's not so much a shot blocker as he is a giant to me. Yeah. He doesn't go get people's shots. Like, he doesn't sniff out a play. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it's not the same um, – it's not the same. That's the best way to put it. No, no, no. I definitely hear you on that. For a guy who's making over $200 million, the fact that there are situations where he can't be on the floor at the end of the game is very interesting. So, you know, we'll see how it shakes out in Minnesota after they've given up their about their whole future 
you know, for him. We'll see how that shakes out. But one thing right now, us Pacer fans, Tyrese Halliburton has sparked this hope in us that we that we could go to places maybe we haven't been before because we got someone that can make others better. You had an opportunity to play with some pretty elite point guards in your day. You got some, you know, Darren Williams, Kyrie Irving, uh, Kyle Lowry. I'm sure I'm missing a couple. But can you tell us the importance of a true all-star level point guard that can make those around him better? Um, They just make the, you know, the engine. They, they just make everybody go. You know what I mean? They have such a feel on the game. And they understand, you know, if it's my shot I'm supposed to be taken or if somebody needs to get a look um, or if somebody's been struggling, how to get them easy when to get them going, just like little things and that – from that stand, and then just be an extension of like the game plan, what we're trying to do, you know, because every nobody wants to hear the coach yelling all the time. So having that person that's an extension, and there's usually a couple guys, but the point guard needs to be one of them, I think, um, allows it to be said in a language that's easier to take than it feels like somebody's just on your back Definitely. all the time, you know. What I mean? Um, and I think that's a key uh component to have, um. But those guys, man, they like, like Kyle Lowry was one of the best at just the feel of the game that I played with and saw. Like when to take his long pull up three, when to, you know what I mean? When to yeah. get a guy, how to figure out how to get a guy layup. He screamed. He did all the little things that showed that made his guys trust him, which allowed him, to, which allowed him to lead the way he did because you knew he was going to dive on the floor. You knew he was going to take charges. You knew he was going to run the play to the best his effort to get, if it was a shot for you to get you open or to get it, he 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 did that. Um, and I admired him a lot for that, or admire him. Yeah, NBA champion. I mean, look, the, the man put in the work, you got to respect it. So overall, you know, one of my last questions is basically, look, this Pacers team is beyond young, and the league keeps getting younger and younger. Do you feel that they've kind of phased veterans out? Because I know when you were entering the league, there was still vets. Now yeah. there's Udonis Haslam, and then there's a bunch of guys that are like in their <laughs> young twenties. Yeah, um, they de- it definitely it's it's a it's it's a part that's missing. It definitely needed, um, just because you know there's a lot of of nuances you know to the game, like and there's a lot of knowledge and things that can be given just from a voice. You know, guys that have been there, done it, know how to speak to guys, and then have, have, <clears throat> excuse me, having a template of the real amount of work that it takes to, you know, to do this for at a high level for a long time. Um, I think um, guys, guys need to be able to see that a little bit. They need to see a guy that's in his 12th year that's still there before you even wake up, breaking a sweat, understanding the amount, you know what I mean? Like a guy that's been doing it for solid for a lot of years. I think that's, you know, just important for guys coming up to just be able to take on some of those habits and figure out what works for them. Instead of it, it kind of speeds up the learning curve. Absolutely. I've always said you need to have a pro teach the young guys how to be a pro. And with that, we've seen guys who all stars. I think it was Chris Bosch who said he thought he had worked his butt off until he realized that Kobe Bryant had already worked out for a few hours before he even started. So you got to see that and then know this is what, you know, the measuring stick is. So for my last question for you, what was your favorite moment as an Indiana Pacer? Ooh. That's 
I don't I don't know. Got to hit us with one. I mean, the people want to know. I mean, what comes to mind? Your time as a pacer, you take yourself in your head. What is what is the image that you see? It's just like the whole time is just a special time to me. Not that there's not a game that I there's games I remember just being able to um grow into being in moments where you know the three-point plays are drawn up for you at end of the games and the tie games or the take leads or to be able to make these games in that building that shifted the momentum and, and hearing the crowd go crazy, like those timeout threes, like those are my favorite in there because the crowd was always into it. And that was the start of my three-point celebration. My that was Love the it. start of that. I that came there. So like there's so much. Um, like I said, I, I always felt like I was at home. Like I felt like I was in that like it was a gym in Dallas. Like I felt like that when I played there. Um, and I think that's I, I attribute that to me playing so well compared to other years of my career. Just a, a big part of it, just from that alone, just feeling like I was accepted. They wanted me to do well. They wanted me to be the person I was there. And and I allowed to give them more than that. I was allowed to because of the support they gave me. Absolutely love it. Hey, CJ, I want to thank you a lot for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, tell everybody where they can find you out on social media. Uh, Masresco on M-A-S-F-R-E-S-C-O on Twitter, on Instagram. That's pretty much all I have. I'm not... I'm not hip enough for TikTok. Never mind. I, I, I've never yeah. made one. I, I don't know if I ever there. will. You know, we, we upload I some have content one. there. Uh, there I we have go. One. I was going to try. And then I went to make, I was so intimidated by making the first one. I was like, this is not, I'm not ready yet. So <laughs> um, maybe when I think of some real content ideas, I'll start to do some of that stuff. But um, well, CJ, we appreciate you. And, you know, thanks again. Yeah, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, uh, making sure this happened, man. Thanks for beating me up to make sure I got here. I got you. <laughs> Absolutely. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, everybody. We are back. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, CJ... That's, that's my guy right now. He even talked about, you know, how long I was on him for this. So shout out to CJ for, you know, making, making the time, you know, blessing us with you know, probably, you know, you always figure, Hey, maybe we get 20 minutes. He wasn't in a rush. I really appreciated that. I thought we got some great, you know, in, uh, insight on his time in Indiana, playing with Paul George, playing under Nate McMillan, you know, playing under Nate, uh, Nate Bjorkrit for a bit. I thought that was interesting. So overall, you know, TJ, really appreciate it. But you guys can check us out on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can check Alex out on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. You can check me out on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And you can check us out on YouTube where this episode will be, we did video with CJ. You can check us out there at youtube.com slash setting the pace, a Pacers podcast. 
Really appreciate you guys giving this a listen. Any rating or review or comment on YouTube is beyond appreciated. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We got the best listeners out there. We're one of the most passionate fan bases out there are Indiana Pacers. So at the end of the day, if you are ready to see them boys in action, give me a let's go Pacers.